Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another edition of the Skating Penguin Network Mailbag. I am Garrett Behanna. Alongside me are my two co-hosts who I, I learned after the fact tried to oust me in uh, what was an unsuccessful attempt to rid me of this podcast. It's Snail, Robbie Noggle. And as, if, you, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see the caption underneath Robbie's nameplate. Name, name I am free for now. Uh, we were just talking, as a matter of fact, before I hit the record button. And uh, folks, if you're listening, if you've been a longtime listener or you're just finding us as the NHL season gets into full gear, uh, there may come a chance in the not so distant future where Snail and Robbie are both ousted from their positions. I fire them both and uh, I take this venture solo. I kid, of course, only for now. If they do get under my skin, then yes, they will be fired because I am a dictator. I run this ship as such and uh, really... Anything else that deviates from the norm and deviates or doesn't please me, well, it will be dealt with in the most severe fashion. But uh, until they get under my skin, uh, we have some more questions to answer from the loyal listeners who gave us those questions. Uh, Part one was earlier this week. Now we're answering into part two. And, uh, well, here's how the mailbag goes if you're finding us for the first time. Robbie will get question number one. Snail will get question number two. I will take question number three. And we will rotate back and forth until all of those questions are answered. With that being said, Robbie, let's get right into it. Question number one comes from loyal listener Kim from Denmark. Do you think we will qualify for the playoffs on a wild card spot? Or will the Penguins be safe in a higher position in the what looks to be a pretty competitive Metropolitan Division? I think it's going to be between that first wild card spot and third place in the division. I think it's going to be uh, razor thin. Uh, I, and again, this question was asked before Tuesday night, so I uh, can't take too much into account after Tuesday. But I think the difference is going to be right on kind of a cliff's edge between uh, that third spot and uh, kind of that first uh, wild card spot. So I think it's going to come down to how they play in the division. Uh, they were not good in the division last year, but they were much better, uh, hopefully much better in the division this year. And we'll find out Friday night uh, how that starts. But 
Uh, yeah, it's going to come down to those four-point games or six-point games, I guess, technically, when you throw in the extra point. But, um, yeah, it's gonna it's all going to come down to that. Um, if they can even marginally improve in the division, I think they may be sneaking as a three-seed in that division. I, I just think there's too much talent uh, on Carolina and New Jersey uh, to compete with them over 82 games, at least in a regular season. In a playoff match, if anything can happen. But I'm, I'm just going to say it's razor thin. Um, if I had to pick, I'd probably say 60-40, they get a wild card spot, uh, just because I trust Igor Shesterkin a little more in the long run than uh, Tristan Jari. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say it's razor thin, but I would lean, I right now I'd lean toward a wild card spot over a third place in the division, but neither result would surprise me in the long run. Uh, question number four, we're going back to question number two. Uh, we're going back to Brian here. Um, uh, see, Brian, I mean, screwed up. I mean, we, we won't hold that against him too much. But uh, last week, mailbag, he didn't ask a food question. So he's getting back uh, on the uh, – getting back uh, into it here. So uh, he said he totally blew it last week, forgot to ask a food question. Uh, so he's going to ask two this week. Uh, one, what is the weirdest thing you've ever eaten for breakfast uh, that is not breakfast food? And then he will, the next question will be a second. So we'll start with Snail. Snail, what is the weirdest thing you've ever eaten for breakfast that is not a speci- specified breakfast food? <laughs> uh, probably like a beer and a cigarette as the sun comes up on like a camping trip or something. Oh <laughs> uh, no, I don't know. I was, I I actually don't really eat breakfast. Like I historically, since I was like a kid, I never had breakfast. I was just never, I never had an appetite in the morning. But uh, I do remember one time I went to uh, I went to Disneyland when I was in like fifth grade and they had uh, a pizza that was a peanut butter and jelly pizza. And I had a slice of that for breakfast, actually, maybe maybe two or three slices of that for breakfast. So, um, yeah, I, I, all jokes aside, probably that uh, that's definitely not like a. Uh, have you guys ever heard of the peanut butter and jelly pizza out there out east? I have not, but that doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me at all. I don't, I mean, there's some pizza places that have like weird combinations, but I've never had that personally, but I do like peanut butter and jelly. Oh, just an amazing combo. Love PB and J, but uh, on pizza, it's pretty much the same thing. Just kind of weird. It's weird. The presentation is what's weird about it. Oh yeah. But yeah, there's probably been some like late nights that turn into early mornings where it's just what maybe whatever's kind of whatever sniffing around is I'm I'm devouring it. So uh, I'd like to uh, hear like we should pass this around though. What's a uh, what about you guys, Robbie? Do you want to go or do you want me to go? I'll go. Um, okay. I don't weirdest. Th- I mean, man, breakfast is kind of. I know there's specified breakfast foods, but breakfast feels like one of those uh, meals where you can definitely just kind of. Uh, wing it and kind of get whatever you want. Um, weirdest breakfast food. I don't know if I've ever had anything completely off the wall weird. Like definitely probably haven't been drinking that early in the morning um, uh, or um, uh, smoking or anything like that. But I mean, if I'm in a rush and I just need something, I will grab a leftover from the fridge, uh, whether it be spaghetti or maybe some meatballs. Um, nothing there we go. like yeah, nothing like completely out of the ordinary. I, I don't know what would, I mean, if I don't know what Brian defines as weird exactly. Cause you could really, I mean, what's weird. Like is spaghetti really that weird in the morning? Probably not. But I mean, 
I guess you could get pretty off the wall uh, for breakfast, but I'm mostly more of a uh, coffee, maybe some eggs kind of person if it's getting to breakfast food. But if I'm really in a rush, uh, grab something out of the um, uh, the fridge. But one thing that I do eat for breakfast that is a breakfast food, but people think I make it weird, is I eat oatmeal, but I don't cook it. I just put milk in it like cereal. That is... It's so you're a, just like chewing gravel. No, the oats are soft. That took me a minute to process in my brain. And then when you said you don't cook it, I'm, I'm like, because I immediately, I agreed with snail. I was like, you're just, you're eating. I mean. It's oats and it. brown sugar. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's basically, I mean. It's just cereal. Do you, do you yeah, let it marinate like, a bit? Like, do you let it kind of soak take, in? It doesn't take long because the oats are already, I mean, the oats aren't like. I mean, they're like a Quaker oats, so they're not like super dry or anything. So it's not like most cereals where you have to let it marinate that long. Um, I guess, you know, I eat, I actually am an oat guy myself. I eat a lot of oats in various forms. And uh, I guess oats really aren't, it's not like granola where like no, some people make hard... granola with like cereal with granola. And that's like chewing gravel. Yeah, it's delicious, that's... but it'll cut your mouth up. But I guess oats yeah. aren't that bad. Oats, just like the Quaker oats that you buy at the store little bit of brown sugar for some uh, sweetness and some flavor because oats by themselves are, I mean, pretty generic tasting. But um, I use granola and like yogurt and stuff, but I have to let it sit a little bit just to soften up even just a little bit. But no, I mean, I'll just bowl, put oatmeal in a bowl, put milk over it and enjoy it. Spaghetti though, like that's a heavy breakfast. You mentioned you'll grab a leftover. I'm not talking over. like a full like plate. Like <laughs> usually it's just like a little bowl, like just enough to give me some kind of sustenance to get going in the morning rather than but i usually have a like a bowl of hard-boiled eggs that i do like a like at one time and i'll grab one or two of them that's generally what i eat for breakfast it's at 6 30 in the morning and the sun's barely coming up and robbie's taking like fresh garlic knots out of the oven <laughs> <laughs> yeah i ain't cooking it's microwave or bust but um yeah but no garrett you can answer now too i think the cliche answer would be birthday cake i've definitely I mean, yeah, too. But yeah, it's it's. I mean, again, it's it's not something I don't regularly have cake in my house anyway. For very like holidays or special occasions, would you consider pie a weird breakfast? A pie you can almost make as a breakfast. Pie is like, I mean, like if if you're just like crushing pie for breakfast like all the time, someone might be like, that's like a ton of sugar to like just yeah. be dumping into your stomach. But I mean, like for the odd random, like, I don't know, you wake up in the morning, you got nothing to do. You open the fridge and it's like, eh, you only live once, right? Like I'm talking like, I mean, pie you can have year round, but like I remember distinctly like the day after Thanksgiving, that Friday after American Thanksgiving, like when we still have pumpkin pie, I, you know, you wake up, put some whipped cream on it. I mean, I don't drink coffee, but like to me, I, that would not surprise me if people do that. Dude, the day after Thanksgiving, anything goes. Like oh, yeah. I will, dude, breakfast is just like a, re, a, a rehashing of the night before sometimes. And it's right back to the couch. Yeah. So I, Christmas, Thanksgiving, th those kind of holidays, you know, th that's where the pie comes in. Birthday cake again. Uh, I'll, I'll go with, I'll say my final answer will be birthday cake. I mean, I, I did not expect some of these answers that we were getting from from Robbie and Snail. But uh, yeah, I think I think those are, all three of us have given some pretty uh, unique answers here. So with that, uh, I guess Snail, you give it, moving on to question number three here. 
Yep, question number three, not straying too far from the last food question. What's the weirdest food combination that you enjoy? I think that's a key part of the question there. What's yeah, the weirdest yeah. combination you enjoy? So, okay, it's not really a, a food combination more so as it's like the, the, what happens to the food in the process of it. Like, oh, I may get some pushback for this and it's not, it doesn't happen all the time. But like when you, we'll take Robbie's spaghetti for for example. When you put spaghetti in the refrigerator, you take it back out for the, the day after, the next day you have lunch or dinner with it, you basically have leftovers, you put it in the microwave. I get some really weird satisfaction for like, you, you microwave whatever's in the refrigerator, but then you take it out and it's not blistering hot, but it's not like freezing. There's there's a there's a fine balance of like it being hot and cold. Some parts of it are hot, some parts of it are a little chilly. And that's the that's probably when I looked at this question, it was the weirdest thing that I could think of. So sometimes when I reheat my food, I like it I like some of it a little hot. I like some of it a little cold. I don't like all of my food to be blistering hot coming out of the microwave. So like that's happened with me with spaghetti when I reheat uh, really like a really heavy, dense stuff that happens. Spaghetti, soup, chili. Sometimes I like it a little chilly. You know, I, I know not all of those dishes are supposed to be eaten cold, but that was the first thing that came to my mind. So it's like a sensory experience for you. Yes, that's the best mm. way to describe it. Yes, it's 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 um it's a sensory it's a weird i don't know if that's something that is carried over from childhood but yeah that is the the perfect way to describe it does anyone else want to contribute with their weird food combinations I don't oh know. i got one in the chamber if you guys want to hear this it's yeah, uh yeah. It, this has become <laughs> we order this in our house weekly there's a place there's an establishment out here and i don't know if they're everywhere it's for a place out west, it's got a weird name. It's called Chicago's Pizza with a Twist. And they make kind of like, um, they make interesting pizzas. Let's just say that. A lot of vegan options. And this is like my favorite pizza right now. And I'm just going to read it. I got Uber Eats open right here. Um, this pizza has our signature vegan butter sauce, signature vegan cheese, vegan ch chicken, fresh, crisp red onions, juicy tomatoes, fresh cut garlic, ginger, and green chilies garnished with fresh cilantro. I would demolish that. Yeah, like I'm, right there. I'm right there with you. <laughs> Again, it would be like how heavy the cilantro is. But like, I oh, it's just enough. It's perfect. There's okay. a, it adds a little freshness to it. I would absolutely uh, demolish that vegan chicken. I mean, what? It probably tastes like chicken. Oh, they season it um, impeccably. It's not. I mean, this oh, is. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing on there that I would be completely turned off by. Like, I was waiting for something like really the ginger. I'm not a huge ginger fan, but I can eat it. Um, I there's nothing on there that you read that would be like I can't eat that. Like, it's just if it would have been something like extremely like I can't eat like sweet pickles i can't eat sweet pickles olives i had to pull olives off but like nothing you said repul like everything you said like is the more you added on to them like makes sense makes sense make oh i would absolutely demolish that yeah that would be fantastic okay so when i had first seen this place pop up on uber eats it's actually just right down the street from my house uh i'd never i mean there's a lot you can do a lot with pizza but i'd never seen that like cross of like uh I don't know what you'd even call that, but like the butter, like a, like a vegan butter chicken type of masala almost on there. Yeah. And, uh, I I'm in love with it. I'm addicted to it. So, uh, 
I, I'm glad I didn't get too much heat for that one. Honestly, I thought uh, I was going out on I a limb, would, but demo, I would demo, all I, in favor of crushing. Because I'm a very big fan of pizza without sauce, without red sauce. I like white pizza. Um, and when you said butter sauce, like everything that you everything you added to that, it all worked in my head. I would absolutely try that pizza. So I didn't really know that you could get pizza without red sauce on it. And I started to experiment a little bit with these other pizzas that have uh, like a garlic sauce or a white sauce or a butter sauce. Dude, phenomenal. I have a little bit of acid reflux sometimes. And those yeah. white, those, those other sauces, dude, just an awesome option. Yeah, that sounded all good. Robbie, do you have anything on your Any weird more? food combinations? Um, so the now this is, I don't think is completely out of left field, and some people probably do it uh, as well. I can't really eat scrambled eggs without ketchup. Um, I just can't. It's the texture thing with the eggs and the taste combined. I cannot do it. Um, I, yeah, just not. I have to have ketchup on my eggs, uh, my scrambled eggs to eat it. So that's probably. I mean, most of the stuff I eat is pretty straightforward in terms of like. There's maybe a lot of ingredients, but it's like I'm talking chicken salads, potato salads, um, nothing crazy when it comes to like sauces or anything like that. But uh, I'm pretty straight and narrow when it comes to like, I really like what I like. I don't like mixing a bunch of stuff together. Do you eat ketchup with your hard boiled eggs? No, I eat those um, either plain or with a little salt and pepper. Okay, just just checking. Snail's writing it down. He's off camera writing it down right now. <laughs> All righty. Uh, we'll go back to Robbie here. Question four, going back to Kim here. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about one of the newer Penguins. Uh, what are your thoughts on Lars Eller so far? Is he an upgrade from last season's third line center, which was primarily Jeff Carter? I mean, no one would have been an upgrade over Jeff Carter. Um, so, I mean, that way, I guess he is. Um I thought the penalty he took on Tuesday night was an absolutely abysmal call. Um, that was a very, we're calling everything at the beginning of the season kind of call. Um, I thought it was not a good call at, at all. It's not something I would have, you would have seen called in December, let alone the playoffs. But um, I mean, I didn't notice him much. I don't think he was, I mean, he was adequate, I guess. I mean, I, I, I need a more of a sample size and games and count to make a full, uh, full kind of uh, evaluation on him there. Uh, I noticed him more than I noticed Jeff Carter. Um, Jeff Carter, I forgot, was on the team most of the time. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I guess fine. I mean, I, there's not much really else to say about that. The penalty he took was just not a good call. It should not have been called, would not have been called uh, in about a month or two. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, he didn't do anything that I considered uh, debilitating like I would have expected out of Jeff Carter. So uh, through one game, I'll give him a, a solid C grade, um, but I, a further evaluation is going to need um, a few more games uh, to get a better feel of what he exactly brings. Uh, question number five, sticking with Kim here. Um, how, this is going to snail. Uh, how would you rate Connor Bedard's entrance to the NHL as compared to McDavid and Crosby's entrance? Do you think he would have the same uh, impact right away? Um, so uh, compared to McDavid and Sid's uh, entrance into the NHL, I would say it's it's more hyped than, than both of them. Um, and I'll tell you why. That's because 
right now, like media, social media, like we've known about Connor Bedard. I mean, I think like, you know, we knew about Sid since he was a kid. We've known about McDavid. Same thing with Bedard. We've, but because of social media and I think because of just media in general being like the the monster that it is right now currently, I would say that like Bedard's that game against Pittsburgh, I think that had the most viewership for a, a regular season game, like a not specialty game, not like a winter classic or, or a Stanley Cup, like ever. I think it had the most viewership. And so, and that's all, you know, partly, partly Sid, partly just like one of the, a big marquee matchup. There's a little bit of a, you know, if, if you're a Pens fan or if you were following late into the season last year, you know that Chicago knocked out Pittsburgh. There's a little bit of a storyline brewing there, but Bedard, I mean, just super hyped up right now. Uh, he's a household name, I'd say at this point. Um, and the second part of that is, uh, what was it about, uh, is he going to have the same impact as them? Well, he's, uh, it's too early to tell. I mean, Sid, it took him, a, you know, it took him a few games to score his first goal and really start contributing. Uh, McDavid, uh, kind he of the same. I can career game. Sid did? Yep. Wasn't it, was it the shootout goal? Nope. It was against Boston. It was. Okay. Yeah, there was some, there's I remember seeing on social media there's there was like people yeah. were saying, Oh, the similarities between Bedard and Crosby. Why do I think it was this ninth game? No, no. Did something big happen in Sid's ninth game? Ah, oh man, we're going really far back there. I will say one thing about Crosby that neither McDavid or Bedard had to like on their shoulders was Crosby's debut came right out of a season long lockout. Oh, that's um, a good point. I mean, him and Ovechkin's in that conversation, too, because they came in the same year. But he came in – I mean, they both – or um, Crosby was the guy coming out of the lockout. Like, he was over everything. Like, you ought to see this kid play. He's 18, Pittsburgh, all that. Like, so, I mean, that again, but David and uh, Bedard can't control that, obviously, and I hope we never have to go through that again. But, that I mean, Crosby did have that. Uh, on his shoulders as well coming into the league. Very good point. Um, Bedard is just a spectacular talent. So I think that he's hyped up for a reason. And uh, it's going to be exciting with all three of these kind of like guys in the league right now. You've got Sid kind of in the twilight of his career. You've got McDavid in the prime and you've got Bedard entering it. So um, hyped up, but for good reason. Let's uh, move on here to question number six from Tony Gale. Nice to see uh, Sid sticking up for Latang against the Sabres in the preseason game. Uh, should some of the game get a bit uh, fiery throughout the season, who on the current roster could play that enforcer protector role if needed? Uh, it's an interesting question. I mean, you look at this team, how it's constructed right now. There's a lot of smaller bodies, guys that really are around that 200 pound mark that really aren't going to make a difference. If you want to talk about like throwing weight around Jeff Carter, six, three, two nineteen. I guess, I guess the, the name that really popped out was Ryan Graves. Uh, I don't think you'd want to mess with the guy who's six foot five, 220 pounds. But again, there's nobody on this roster who is going to routinely drop the gloves who there's nobody on this roster whose role is specifically enforcer or grinder you know fourth line only kind of player so the bottom six uh from what i saw tuesday night against the blackhawks uh it was 
I think it was as advertised. Again, I'm not I'm not here to draw conclusions. Come back to me in about a week and a half to two weeks, and then we can reassess, you know, the the offense and defense aspects of the bottom six compared to the top six. But for the sake of this question, I mean, if I'm on the ice, I don't want to mess with a six foot five, two hundred, almost two hundred thirty pound defenseman in Ryan Graves. So I'm not sure based on his prior uh, prior work whether or not Graves has routinely dropped the gloves or sticked up, stuck up for his teammates in those kinds of situations. But looking at the roster as it's currently constructed, I mean, Graves is the biggest guy on their roster right now. So if that were to happen and, and someone needed to uh, send some sort of retaliatory message, my answer for right now would probably be Ryan Graves. Do you think that the Penguins need a guy like that? No, I, I, I've we've I've had this question posed to me, Snail, even before you were uh, a full time member here. We've I think we've addressed it quite a few times. It's probably me asking. <laughs> uh, you know what? Yeah, judging how uh, judging how you view the game versus the differences that I have with the game, I, I just personally don't see it. I don't think, in my opinion, it's it's the responsibility of Mike Sullivan to ice the twelve best forwards and six best defensemen. I, I think that days of the 80s and 90s, you know, having that designated guy who's going to get you a bazillion penalty minutes and score two goals throughout an 82-game season, I, I don't think it's necessary in 2023. So, obviously, you're seeing more and more teams shift away from big meatheads who can't score or skate and more and more of a shift towards speed and skill and the game getting faster, the game getting younger – that's just how I view it, in my opinion. That's what I tune in to see. And I, I know there are people who are older than me who grew up watching a different era of the game who want that kind of player back with the Penguins who will stick up for Crosby and Latang if Tom Wilson delivers a cheap shot or someone else in the Metro delivers some sort of cheap shot to one of the star players. So I understand where that rationale comes from. It's just not one that I personally agree with. The one thing that worries me regarding this question specifically, and it ties in with the team, is that the East has gotten is big. Like they've got the East has the heavyweights in in they're all in the East. You got Reeves in Toronto, Lucic back in Boston. You've got a uh, Arbor Jackeye in in Montreal. Uh, you've got Delorier in Philadelphia, uh, Janot in Tampa. Like I just you just do, you just would hate to see. Uh, the physicality get ramped up and it doesn't always need to end in a fight. It doesn't, I'm not advocating for like, I, I don't want any of that garbage, like WWE esque, like, you know, c kind of a uh, scripted fights or anything like that. But you just hate to see something happen on the ice. And then they're not a team like Pittsburgh, not able to respond or even have someone have that like man conversation on a face off and be like, you know what I mean? Like you see it, you see, I see other teams do it. I look at like a team like Minnesota. Billy G has always really had one tough guy there because he, Billy G knows like you need to have that guy around to respond in those scenarios. Unfortunately, I think the one spot on this roster that there could be a tough guy is taken up by Jeff Carter, who, like you said, is a big body, big frame, but he's just not, he's, he's pretty soft. So Anyways, I'll, I'll, I'll digress, but that is something that concerns me with this team is that there isn't that guy who can have that man conversation off a face-off or look up and down the bench and be like, you know, 
if it's not you paying for it directly, there's I'm going to take a run at someone else on your team. It doesn't always need to necessarily end in a fight. But uh, anyways, I'll, I'll shut up. But it does worry me this year with this team. I don't want Sid out there having to, you know, drop gloves in preseason. Uh, that, you know what I mean? Like, let's let's keep Sid uh, healthy as possible. And, and, you know, to your point, Kyle Dubas basically echoed a, a similar sentiment. I remember reading some post-game comments after that Buffalo preseason game. But my argument... To, to that point has always been we know how the penguins are built and that hammer was that the nail was you know repeatedly tapped by the hammer heading into this season if if you get into a tussle with a tom wilson type or some other big body in the east the penguins are built to score goals outscore their opponent and i think that's something that really worked in 2016 and 2017 was that they especially during those postseason runs a lot of those guys kept their emotions in check and as opposing teams could not match up with the speed and skill of the Penguins during those championship runs, they would try to get under their skin and start those physical tussles, and they still couldn't match the Penguins. They were being outclassed on the ice and on the scoreboard. So even six, seven years later after that, the best way, in my opinion at least, is to, if Tom Wilson wants to tussle with you and get under your skin and be a pest like he always is, go out there and do what you're paid to do. Why did you bring Eric Carlson in? To contribute offensively. Go score more goals than the opposition. Go get those two points. And that little tussle or, you know, that little skirmish or skirmishes, if you want to be plural, throughout whatever game you play this season, it, oh, the only thing that's going to be remembered is the stats from the box score and the score of the game itself. So that's, again, just how I look at it. But... You know, we'll see as, as the season progresses. If something like that comes up, then we'll have another discussion about that. Question uh, number seven for you, Robbie. It's a it's a double question from two question askers, Tony Gale and Kim. And uh, again, through only one game in the in the preseason, not too many uh, too many conclusions to draw here. But what are your thoughts on the power play so far? Do you think Jake Gensel is the missing piece, or could we potentially see Malkin and Carlson take point on a second power play unit? So uh, this question asked before uh, Tuesday night's game, uh, obviously, but what we saw on uh, Tuesday was basically the four forwards and one defenseman set up on both units. And on the top unit, it was Eric Carlson. On the second unit, it was Chris Letang. I am more of a fan of running with the um, three forwards, two defensemen, putting both Latang. I think you should o- you should overload that top power play. Um, uh, we've kind of talked about this many times the past few weeks leading up to the season. I put Latang and Carlson both on that top power play. Play to your strength. Put Jake in front of the net. Put Crosby and Malkin where they want to be, and just try to cook. Um, it. We saw that in the preseason, and it looked really good when it was out there. I understand the kind of the mentality of putting of splitting up Latang and Carlson because uh, it does add an extra weapon to that uh, second power play unit, especially when you have you know you're going to have talented forwards on that second unit that maybe um, aren't on that first unit. So giving a guy like Latang that time uh, really. Uh, feeds uh, feeds into the offensive strategy. But I think overall, I mean, you worked on it in practice. We saw it in the preseason, at least to start it out, just to see how it works. 
I'd run the three, the two defensemen, three forwards, and just let uh, Latang and Malkin cook uh, and see what you can get with that. Uh, I don't hate the idea of splitting them up, but um, I think you tease us with it. Uh, I, I'd like to see it in actual game, regular season action, um, just to see how it looks against top penalty killing units. Uh, question number eight from Kim. Uh, now, Kim says, again, asked during preseason, uh, but after the games uh, they played so far in preseason uh, with Jari and Goal, are you confident he can potentially take us all the way? Uh, um, me practicing optimism again with Jari. Uh, he's healthy this year. I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. He's healthy. He he has to be the guy. There is no plan B. Nadelkovich is... We know what he is. He's He had some glimp- glimpses in Carolina, which is a team that notoriously makes their goaltenders look pretty good. They got a good defensive system. Uh, they play pretty responsibly, 200-foot game over there. And then when he was in Detroit, who was he was in a rebuild and freewheeling out there, he looked, he, I don't know. So we kind of know what Ned is. You got to play well in front of him for him to look, to inflate his stats. Uh, he's not saving our, this team if Jari shits the bed. Um Jari's been a, an all-star twice. I like. I'm just saying. Like he has to be the guy. He he has to be the one to take us because uh, Hellebuck just resigned in in Winnipeg. I've been keeping an eye on that guy for a long time. Just thinking, God, what if there's just some, Dubis has an ace up his sleeve to get to get him over here or something. Uh, I think Gibson's sticking around. There's no there's no plan B for for goalies as far as this team goes. Um, they're going to play the patient game with uh, Bl- Blomquist. Is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Blomquist. So he's just got to be the guy. Uh, after that game on uh, their first game, I'm, it's hard not to overreact, but I saw a couple of goals that I thought Jari should have. I think the team also should have played better in front of him. So, um, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and just say, yeah, Jari, Jari can take us. The, I think Jari's a good goaltender, and he's going to take us as far as the team play that plays in front of him can. I think he can. I think he can. You know, he he can show up and, and be a decent, if not great, goalie. Um, it's more the defensive system in front of him and those those goddamn awful uh, chances that they let up every time they get a shot on net. Uh, I think you guys are both familiar with it. I think anyone listening would be familiar with it. It's just kind of this horrible thing that the penguins got going right now but yeah uh jari uh i'm i'm comp my confidence is is in him for this season um do either of you guys have am i am i like uh a little too harsh on jari what do you guys think i'd be curious to know uh where does your faith lie (laughs) to your point they don't have any other options they hitched the they hitched their saddle to this horse for the the, the, the remainder of however long this era goes, whether it's two years, three years, or the entire duration of this contract. That's not to say it couldn't be traded. Uh, you know, uh, obviously, where there's a will, there's a way in terms of making trades in the NHL. All you have to do is look at what Dubas did to acquire Eric Carlson, and you have your answer to see if you need to dump a contract. But for me, I mean, yeah, he he's going to be their guy. He doesn't need to be spectacular he doesn't need a 940 save percentage in the regular season he he won't need to be a, a 940 or a 950 goalie in the postseason the pain in the penguins dna it's built on offense if he can be a average or slightly above average 
that greatly improves their chances. I, I was at the game Tuesday night that the uh, the two goals that Jari let in, I think it was it was goal two and goal three uh, before the empty netter, obviously. That I think it was the third goal where what the Chicago player who scored was kind of like falling forward and didn't really get too much of the puck. But either way, it trickled in past Jari. There were a couple of saves that I thought after the game that Jari definitely should have made. But at the same time, I'm thinking he kept the Penguins in that game, making a lot of 10 bell saves that are going to go unnoticed because he's the goaler, he's the goalie of record. He lost the game. I, I watching that game up close and watching Jari, he kept the Penguins in that game. And the Penguins to their discredit, they should have been scoring more on one of the weaker defensive teams, one of the weaker offensive teams. There were guys for Chicago. I had no idea who who was the the uh, second or third goal scorer. I don't even remember his name. He was like a 24-year-old in his second year in the league. It was some really, really strange name. But my point stands, but my point remains, it was, a, it was a mixed bag for everybody involved in that first game, Jari included. He made some incredible saves up close to keep the Penguins competitive. But uh, a couple of goals that trickled in, I'm sure he definitely wanted to have back. Yeah. Uh, one thing I noticed that with the Penguins that is, and I, I always initially blame Jari, but it it comes down to how the team plays in front of him. It's when things get scrambly in front of the net, just the puck always seems to find a way, whether it's laying on top of his pad and, and whatever his name is. Uh, one of those guys on the Islanders whacked it in. When, remember that goal? The Jari was laying on his back and like the puck was sitting on his pad and he ends up scoring. I just, when there's chaos in front of the net, it, it just finds, it always just seems to find a way into the net. And uh, that's not Jari's fault. I always am like, oh, Jari, you should have had that. But it's like, dude, the team is scrambling in front of him. So Jari will get the Penguins as far as the team in front of him. Like, you know, they need to supplement structure and defense and make his job a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, Let's move on from that. Uh, unless Robbie, did you want to chime in anything on Jari? No. All no, right. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. You guys pretty much said everything that I was thinking. Cool. Uh, Brian asks here, who's one player who was playing when you were a kid that you just missed their greatness that bums you out? Being born in uh, 1990, I think. Being born in 90 and not really understanding hockey until 99, I have to say Lemieux. Yeah, Brian was born in 1790. Uh, <laughs> he didn't really elaborate there. Uh, which, you know, it makes sense, uh, but it really is fascinating when you were born. Anyway, uh, I'll save the history lesson for the founding fathers and the rest of the, I'll save that for another episode. Uh, who, who were a couple of players? Uh, I, I was born in 98. Uh, I really started watching hockey super in depth around 08, 09. So like right when the Penguins actually started winning games again. Uh, the first name that came to mind when I saw this question, for whatever reason, was Alexei Kovalev. Uh, I don't know why Kovalev was the like. There were a lot of like Joe Thornton played in the league for a long time, super long time. Jerome McGinley was the same way. I was I was able to at the tail end experience some of that greatness again. Kovalev and McGinley were two players who obviously played for the Penguins during separate stints. Marion Hosa for that cup of coffee. Uh, you know, I was just talking to one of my buddies who was at the game. I was talking about Martin San Louis, Vincent LeCavalier in with their time in Tampa Bay, Kovalchuk, uh, Yager. I, I obviously was not around 
to experience Yager's dominance in the mid to late 90s going through the early 2000s. So I would have loved to have seen that firsthand. And, you know, everything that unraveled and came with Yager's tenure with the Penguins, how it ended and so forth. But, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of elite talent at the the tail end of the 90s heading into the early and mid 2000s who were wrapping up their careers there that I would have loved to have seen from start to finish. Uh, All righty, with that question number 10, this one goes to Robbie, and it is topical because Robbie, as as I think he has mentioned on the podcast, if he hasn't, he does cover high school football. Brian says since Robbie covers the sport of high school football, it got him wondering if he ever got to see his terrible high school team, the Albert Gallatin Colonials, in action. So I have not, uh, Brian, uh, I have not. I actually had to look up where the school was and, uh, yeah, it's out in, um, I believe Fayette County, uh, South of Pittsburgh. Uh, I cover mostly sports or teams in Somerset slash Cambria County. So I'm a little, uh, farther East than that, but, uh, I have not covered that school. I've covered some weird schools, especially when it gets into like soccer and basketball. Um, like when, like a lot of the like really small schools, uh, put out teams for that, but they don't have football teams. Um, so I've not covered, uh, Brian's alma mater, but you never know around here. You could all, when playoffs come around or whatever, a lot of those smaller schools make some noise. So maybe someday, but I have not, uh, um, been blessed in the presence of the Albert Gallatin colonials, uh, in my time covering high school sports. Albert Gallatin, I was looking, it's not too far from my neck of the woods, actually. It's- okay. It's uh, on the, I think it's on the, um, the western edge of where Fayette County sort of meets. I live in, if, if you're listening, if anyone's listening, I live on the edge of Washington and Westmoreland County. So where Fayette is, it's, it's in pretty, pretty close relation to um, Albert, the Albert Gallatin School District. And all of the, there's a ton of uh, super small school districts who have football teams around here where I live. And I'm sure it's the same all throughout Pennsylvania. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I, I, when I saw that, I was like, Albert Gallatin, that sounds familiar. And lo and behold, it's pretty close to where I am. So, but yeah, anyway, uh, one day, Robbie, I'm sure I, we'll, we'll get you over in my neck of the woods and you can cover my terrible high school football team, the Charlotte Roy Cougars. And uh, we'll, we'll just have a blast talking about these high school athletes who have NIL aspirations. And yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, is, right, uh, is high school is high school sports pretty big out there? Yeah. yeah it's, really? It's, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Aliquippa, if you're if you're not familiar with the Aliquippa School District, that's up north past where I live, and obviously where Robbie is. But the Aliquippa, uh, I think they're just called the Aliquippa Quips. They have churned out some elite NFL talent over the years, and they continue to do so. High school football is a is a big draw here in, yep. in Western slash Central PA, really huh. all over the state. High school sports really isn't that big out here. Once you go east of the mountains and you get more into, like, yeah, eastern Washington, which eastern Washington is Idaho, is Montana, is North Dakota, like those kind of – that kind of area. Yeah, high school – they, like, air it on TV and stuff, yeah. but – not here <laughs> yeah you, yeah high school gets aired on tv here all the time that's pretty cool it'd make high school sports way more exciting i don't yeah the, the whip i think robbie you cover it's it's do you cover are you still under the whippeal like the whippeal uh, uh, i was never under the whippeal we 
uh, have a team that's in the Whipule, but they're like at the farther farthest reaches of our coverage area. They're Ligonier. Um, we don't know. Whipule's all basically Allegheny, yeah. Fayette, Westmoreland, like Bucks, like that whole county, like that southwest chunk of Pennsylvania. It's, um, Pine Richland. Um, what else is up there? Central Valley. Mm-hmm. All those uh, schools north of the city too. Yeah, Fox Chapel. Uh, all those are more um, – that's Whippeo. I'm more um, – uh, it's called the Laurel Highlands is our big league around here. But it's probably the – now, we, we extend into, like, Clearfield and State College, but uh, most of those are basically what is essentially a county school. They're, the counties are so sparsely populated that yeah, pretty much yeah. everybody everybody goes to one school. Yep. They're big schools, but it's just because they have basically the entire county to pull from rather than, like, Pittsburgh has, like – School every block. Yeah, it's so densely populated. Yeah. Here in Philadelphia and like Harrisburg, and then every other county in the state is. Well, you don't need me to explain it, Robbie. You know exactly. Yeah, it's what... it's uh, two cities and Alabama in between. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, I I don't need to take it any further than that for those who listen in in, in these regions, whether it's the Johnstown area or where I'm at. But. Uh... Alrighty. Well, with that, we knock out another mailbag here. I am back in the saddle after taking a couple of podcast episodes off. I am free for now. Oh, see, he gets super close to the mic. Back to the cage. Yep. Yep. The we, Pittsburgh toilet, the possibly. The Pittsburgh toilet will not clean itself. Snail, I don't know if he brought this up on one of the prior episodes. He was like amazed when we were chatting through Instagram. He was like, what is a Pittsburgh potty? And I basically had to give him that history lesson. It was so fun. So uh, it's you guys have those because you guys were working in steel mills and stuff, or is is that mm-hmm. essentially you guys were just so nasty and gritty oh, coming yeah, home? It was bad. Yeah, I mean, not so much, not so much. Obviously, our generations, but yeah, like my grandparents' generation. Uh, my 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 grandmother's house, who's just, it's just ten minutes away from mine. She has a Pittsburgh potty. Her family members were working in the mills around the Monongahela River. Yeah, it was it's it was just absolutely disgusting. Yeah, you would never find anything in a new build around here. Yeah, he's right. But, I mean, you could like what? you could have a you could have a bathroom like a, with a shower or something like an actual bathroom. You'd never find in a new build. You'd never find a standalone uh, toilet anymore. Like that's again, the steel mills aren't here. And like, I guess. No, not even like a coal miner's house would you find uh, a new coal mine. Like you'd find they maybe have something outside, like a uh, like a built off, but nothing <laughs> like standalone toilet with nothing around it in the basement. Oh, uh, that's a shame. I think if I ever am in a place where I can have my house built to my liking, I'm throwing a Pittsburgh toilet in or a Pittsburgh potty. The only request you have is a toilet in the basement that's <laughs> with no here. walls around yeah. it. Yeah, yep. just. I, and try like I hope you do it out there, so you have to explain to the contractor. Oh yes, a contractor looking at the blueprints, just being like, "What the hell is this guy's a maniac?" And it's not even a drawing; it's just like a like a clip art of a toilet <laughs> that you stuck on the blueprint. Like it's not even like draw. You're just like, "Oh, I made an adjustment." It's just like a pasted clip art. He's like, "Is this a piece? Is this a screen grab from a Saw movie?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. All the clip art is just in my, it's a Microsoft Word document. It's not even printed out. It's just yeah plaster right there don't ask any questions just put the toilet there do either of you guys have one in your house Mm -hmm. you do i I do not we have a bathroom in our basement in my parents house but it's actually like a built-in bathroom like 
and that's like our my parents' house is like a hundred years old too. But oh, we cool. aren't we aren't like where my town is. Like the steel people lived inside of Johnstown. I'm like ten minute ten miles outside of Johnstown. So most of the steel people didn't live in my area. So there I'm sure there's a few houses, but not like if you'd go to downtown Johnstown, you'd find them very, very like pretty much any house you'd probably go into. Garrett, so you have one. Is that where you just go like when you're sick? Is that when you go when you have just like abominable business to be taken care of? <laughs> I I I have three toilet I have three toilets in my house. Uh my house was built in the nineteen fifties. And at where I live at that point, the mills were raging. Uh, I live in a super small town, but I mean, as Robbie can attest to, the mills have since died off. And there's, I mean, there are a couple of mills along my river. Uh, there's like a glass making mill, but other than that, uh, it it is it is completely dead. Um, yeah, but is that where I go to take care of the worst of my business? No. Um, as a matter of fact, it's 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 broken. The, the the toilet that I have in my basement is broken and it will need repaired, but that is going to cost money that uh, it's not worth to put in right now. Uh, my house also has some like it some terracotta. I think it's called terracotta piping. So like the the sewage lines and all that stuff, it it creates a, a terrible uh, terrible dilemma a couple of times throughout the year. I need not elaborate more than that, but. <laughs> Um, just leave that. You to... broke that toilet, didn't you? With the worst of your me. business. It was not me, but I will not divulge the name of the person who broke it. But I, I will firmly attest that it was not me that, that, that broke that toilet. Is the person who broke that toilet in the room with us right now? No, uh, he, he is not. I, I am recording this from a different location than I typically record my episodes, uh, regularly with you guys. But, uh, I will see that person tomorrow when I go back home tomorrow, um, but he, he is not with us right now. And again, I will keep his name out of this conversation. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, uh, I did not think the final five or so minutes of this podcast, a mailbag episode at that, would divulge into talking about toilets and the, the steel mill history of Western Pennsylvania. But, you know, here we are. That's, that's what we give you here at the Skating Penguin Network. With that said, for Snail, for Robbie Noggle, I am back, baby. I have been Gareth Bahanna. Thank you so much for listening to another edition of the Skating Penguin Network Mailbag, and we will talk to all of you again very soon.